Kyle had mentioned that I have a son. My son is 15 years old. He's a freshman in high school. And my son is at that age where girls are looking very attractive to him. But he still smells bad. (laughs) How many of you have a child in that age bracket or have experienced that? (laughs) Or have been there yourself? Um, so he played football, it was freshman year, played football, oh, his bedroom it smelled like a locker room, it was bad, and he, you know, he, he's making that transition though, right, so he, he doesn't really care about how bad he smells, he doesn't even think he smells bad, uh, but he's at that place, uh, I, I dropped him off at our church this morning, early, five o'clock in the morning, and he was going to go serve there. But he's still at that place where I have to tell him, did you brush your teeth? Go, go brush your teeth. Did you put on deodorant? That kind of thing. He's, he's a great kid. He has real long hair. I mean, real long hair. But I had this agreement with him. If I can pick your friends, I don't care how long your hair is. Is that a deal? And so we have, but he's, he really is a good kid. But he's just in that awkward age where he still doesn't think he smells bad. He still doesn't understand the need for brushing his teeth. Um, all, you know. I'm the one who pays the bill. And then, uh, but girls are attractive. And it's, it's understanding, he, Matthew, you're giving up what stinks to be with your future bride who's really pretty. It's that concept of, of understanding you're not giving up something. You're getting rid of something bad to get something that's really awesome. And he's in that transition. But, but spiritually, it's the same thing. Christ gives us an invitation. Today we're going to be in a parable. It's an invitation to a wedding. It's a beautiful wedding. And if you're in Christ, you're going to be part of it. And he challenges us to give up the sins to say, man, I'm a sinner, forgive me of my sin, that we might get rid of the stuff that stinks. To us, it doesn't always stink. And and get something that is far, far grander. Something that the Bible says is, uh, um, teaches, we can't even begin to comprehend the beauty of what we are giving, along with grace, along with forgiveness, along with mercy, is the beauty of, man, when I die, I'm in the presence of the Lord, I'm going to be in heaven. Do you realize that if you're in Christ, all those people that you know that are in Christ that have died and has broken your heart, you're going to be reunited with them in heaven? To me, that, that excites me because I have dear friends that have passed away. And it's the older I'm getting the more people I know that have been relocated from this earth to heaven. And, and I'm looking, it's like the, there's more people up there I know than down here. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be there in that, that day where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow for the former things of this world that's passed away. Man, it's going to be grand. So Jesus gives us an invitation. Give up the stuff that you think is great that really stinks, but you don't know it. And you are getting something that is far, far grander. But there are so few who receive the invitation. So we're going to, uh, we're, we're invited to a wedding today. And there's some beautiful weddings on this earth, but they all pale in comparison to the wedding that the Lord has for us. So let me set up where we are. Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going to be. The parable of the wedding invitation. And, and uh, 
before you, we start there, and back in Matthew chapter 21, I'll update you. In chapter 21, it was Palm Sunday. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was Sunday, but by Friday, the same people are going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But on Sunday, that Palm Sunday, after he dismounted from the donkey, he shared some teachings and Matthew records two parables that he shared with the Pharisees to point out their hypocrisy and their wickedness. They didn't like what they heard from Jesus in Matthew 21 on Sunday because he knew that in the parables, they were seeing themselves, they didn't like what they saw, so they were rejecting him and they were determined, we're going to kill this guy. That was Sunday. By Friday, he'd be dead. But we enter into Matthew chapter 22, and it's now the next day. Now it is Monday, the day before he is going to be crucified, or the, the Monday before he's going to be crucified. And uh, it's Monday, and verse 1 of chapter 22, as Jesus begins this wedding invitation, Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the multitudes. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Let me stop here for a few minutes. Note the first point if you're a note taker. It's a refused invitation. The end of verse 3, they were not willing to come. The king's son is going to get married. Send out the invitation. No, not interested. This is the royal family I don't want to be part of. Let me share a couple of things with you before we move on. He's giving a parable here, and, and I'm going to do this with a Q&A, okay? Question and answer to help us understand this passage a little bit better. So I'll ask the questions, and then I'll also give the answers, because that makes it easier on me. But here's the first question, all right? As we look at this, this is a parable, So the first question is, what is a parable? I'm going to keep it real simple. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The idea behind the word parable is to throw alongside of. So it's like a parallel path. A parable is a story thrown alongside a truth that the teacher is intending to teach. So here it's an earthly story about the things of God and the things of heaven and salvation. And it's thrown out there, this earthly story, uh, uh, on the parallel path of the spiritual truth because Jesus is teaching a heavenly thing. All three of the synoptic gospels have parables. The word synoptic means similar. Uh, So the synoptic gospels, the similar gospels would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're similar, they all teach parables. Uh, John is not considered a synoptic gospel because the gospel of John is a little bit different. But all three of the synoptic gospels teach parables. And Matthew here in chapter 22 is speaking on this parable of the wedding feast. So the first question is, what is a parable? Uh, A parable is an earthly story to teach a heavenly thing, right? A second question is, why parables? Or why did Jesus speak to the people in parables? Well, there's two main purposes for parables. Parables are mirrors so we can see ourselves in the 
story. And we have an opportunity to react according to how we see ourselves in that story. If we're like the Pharisees, we're going to say, I don't like what I see. And we're going to start calling Jesus a liar, right? But others, and usually we don't like what we see in them because we see ourselves as sinners. But when we understand Christ and the forgiveness of God, we say, wow, that is me. Oh man, I do need hope. The playwright Arthur Miller, almost as famous for his play Death of a Salesman as for his brief marriage to Marilyn Monroe, once observed, in every successful drama, there is something which makes a person say, hey, that's me. The story becomes a mirror in which self-recognition produces self-understanding. Such is a parable. They are mirrors so we can see ourselves, but also a parable is a veil to hide the truth from people who are against God. Why would the Lord do that? So they're mirrors so we can see ourselves, but also veils to hide the truth. I'll show you that in just a minute. But think on this. Repeatedly you see in the Bible this phrase, he who has an ear to hear. For example, book of Revelation, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Uh, This is the calling from God. A parable is like that. He who has an ear to hear, listen to what is being taught here. Uh, This is the thought in Jeremiah, uh, where God says through the prophet Jeremiah, call on me, look to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know. Dig into my parables, ask me about them, and I will show you, I will show you in it, and I will show you the hope that you can have because of it. Call on me. I'll answer you. I will show you. So it's a response to parables. They're mirrors, but they're also veils. And, and the, the hard part is knowing that they're veils to hide the truth from people who are against God. Uh, the proof is in Jesus' words himself. If you turn in the left of your Bible, just a few pages to Matthew chapter 13, If you have a Bible with you, check this out. Matthew chapter 13, just a few verses. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says the disciples, they came and they said to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Look at the answer of Jesus, Matthew 13, verse 11. Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. It's a mystery. They don't want to know it. The parable is a veil is what Jesus is saying. Right? Then he goes on and says this, verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have an abundance. You want to know God? You want forgiveness? Man, you want to know me? I will pour out my grace and my mercy upon you. But... Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. So why did Jesus use parables? They're a mirror so we can see ourselves. And we have a choice on how to respond. But they're also veils to hide the truth from those who do not want him. Are there people that don't want God? Yes, there are. Um, I was like that before I got saved. Some of you certainly were, but there are also not people who just don't want to know God. There are people who hate God. Over in Psalm 2, I'll read just a few verses to you. In Psalm 2, the psalmist asks this question. 
Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his pleasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He's showing the contrast. There are those on this earth that hate me. The leaders of nations, even people of nations, they hate me. They rage against the Lord and against his anointed. But I want you to know, I have set Yeshua on my holy hill in Zion, and he is coming again. That's what that psalm is about, by the way. God says, there's those who hate me, but, I, but, I, but I'm going to tell you how it's going to end. I'm going to win. But there are people who hate God. Our society, man, it is so evident to see, isn't it? Uh, back this past summer, there was a news story I came across, and there was a, a newspaper that refused to run an ad for a Christian bookstore. You want to know why they refused to run the ad for the Christian bookstore? Because it said Christian bookstore. Because the word Christian was in it. If it said some other bookstore, they would have run it. Isn't that crazy? But this is the world we live in. And you and I are hearing more and more stories like this all the time. But God says, Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? There are many people that hate God. And the Lord, speaking in parables, does not want them to be blessed with the understanding of how beautiful heaven is or of what genuine peace is or, or true joy. So why let them in on the secret and the power and the joy and the peace of God when all they are going to do is mock Yeshua? All they are going to do is mock heaven. All they are going to do is mock God. All they are going to do is mock his word. So he says, I have limits. I give you my word, but there are those who hate me and they will not be able to see past this. They won't get it. But there are those who will. They're going to dig in. And they're going to see the treasure that's there. And they're going to go, man, this is good. Let me give you a takeaway before we move on. You ready? Here's a takeaway. This treasure, this treasure, and the treasure of heaven is for anyone, but not everyone wants to know him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The treasure is for anyone. It's for anyone. God said, love the world. But not everyone wants the son. William Barclay noted of this parable put the responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. They reveal truth to him who desires truth, and they conceal truth from him who does not want to see God's truth. I love this verse. It's Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. This is the King James Version. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Or as the NLT translates this, it is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. 
Uh, that is essentially what is taking place in this section. The Lord Jesus Christ is exercising his privilege and displaying his glory as he speaks to them in parables, hidden from those who don't want to know the things of God. But it is the privilege of a king to be able to search them out. If you're in Christ, you are a son or daughter of the king of kings. You, you're a prince or princess in his kingdom. That's pretty cool. You're part of the royal family. You have an opportunity to dig into God's word and say, oh man, this is unbelievable. The treasure in here is unbelievable. And God, you call on him and he will show you great and mighty things that you didn't even yet know in life and in his word. With that background for our parable and back in our parable, uh, let me give you this as we set up for the rest of it. You ready? In this parable, remember it's parable of a wedding feast. The king is God. The son is Jesus. Those who are invited, the people, are the Jews. The servants in this parable are the Old Testament prophets. And then those who are on the byways and highways, those are everybody who's not Jewish. Those are Gentiles. I would fall into that category. Here Jesus teaches in verse 2, a certain king arranged for a marriage for his son. A wedding was and often is today the most significant social event of a person's life. And the wedding of a prince, the king's son, would be a spectacular event and an invitation would normally be prized. But in verse 3 we are told that they were unwilling to come. Can you imagine turning down the wedding invitation of the king? We see a whole lot of people right now that don't want to have anything to do with the inauguration of Donald Trump. <laughs> but then you look at this, and this is a parable of the king of kings. God the Father saying, Coming to the, come to the wedding of my son. This illustrates the reality that God sent his son to save anyone that would come to him for forgiveness. But many reject God's free, gracious, and profound offer and an eternal home in heaven. So continuing, the wedding invitation was given out. There's a refusal. We move on, verse 4, and we come to number 2, the second refusal. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatty cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. They laughed. And they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Wow! Again, he sent out other servants. And with these servants, tell those who are invited, I've prepared the dinner. All things are ready. The oxen are ready. The fatty cattle, the dinner is ready. Come to the wedding feast of my son. Barclay says that uh, when a great social event happened in the Jewish culture of that day, people were invited but without a set time. On the appropriate day when the host was ready to receive the guests, they sent out messengers to say that all things were ready and it was time to come to the feast. 
He continues, so then the king in this parable had long ago sent out his invitations, but it was not till everything was prepared that the final summons was issued and insultingly refused. Note again in verse 4, all things are prepared. Everything is ready. The dinner has been spread. That's the message of the gospel. You don't come to God's feast and prepare your own meal. He has made the meal ready. That's the message of the gospel. You don't clean up your act and then you're saved because you clean up your act. Your act ain't cleaned up. You come to him and you say, forgive me. He's prepared everything. He's done it all. You don't want to miss this part here. Let me put it in, give you an illustration to help you understand a little bit more. Uh, a few months back, I was talking with a friend of mine, and, and uh, his son was there. His son's a senior in high school down in Orange County, and uh, his dad works with me. And we were talking, and his son is telling me about his church and his youth group. And he goes, I refuse to go to my youth group at my church anymore because all they do is just talk about the way you have to be. Uh, from the way you looked to the way you acted to the word. It was, you know, the Christianese stuff. And now I don't know if it was true or not, but that was his perception. And, and my friend's son, he's, he's Indian from uh, India, not American Indian. So he's got real dark skin, dark eyes, dark hair. And maybe there's a problem there too. I, I don't know, but I'm talking with him and he's going, I have questions and they won't let me ask questions. He goes, I talk to leaders after the Bible study and they just say, well, you just need to pray and ask God and they won't tell me anything. And, and I invited him out. We were doing uh, that time at our church. I said, come on out. I said, we're doing an FAQ with our high schoolers. I said, I'm going to run it. Uh, FAQ, not frequently asked questions. I said, it's going to be different. It's going to be frequently avoided questions. And we, we held that. In fact, it went well. We held the second one. We have a, a third one coming up pretty soon. But we talked about the things that he has, he wants to, he has questions to. He goes, I have a friend like this. And, and they just tell me they're going to hell and I can't talk to them. And that's it, what they're telling me. And so I, I don't, like I said, I don't know about his youth group. I don't know that or if it's just his perception. But I do know this. We have a, a generation of souls that are lost. And the last thing on Pastor Ted's heart and my heart is that the church would box people into this position where you have to feel like um, you have to get ready. You have to prepare yourself before you can get saved. Let me tell you, there's a generation of young people out there that are dealing with things that are really, 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 really hard to deal with. A lot harder than anything I had to deal with. When I went to high school, you know what I, one of the big sins you could commit at the high school I went to? I went to Catholic school through eighth grade, but in high school I went to public school. You know what one of the big sins was? Some of you will remember this. It was chewing gum. Remember that? How many of you remember that? Now, now here's something else. The other big sin was smoking in the boys' room. Remember that? Remember that song, Brownsville Station? I think it was smoking in the boys' room. Dun, 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 dun. Those were it. Now, if that's not it, you're dealing with transgender and you're dealing with this gay stuff and you're dealing with all kinds of bizarre things that were not part of my generation. And there are young people that say, where do I go if I can't come to church again? And where do I go if Christ, uh, you tell me Jesus loves me. You don't even tell me there's forgiveness. You don't even tell me there's hope. You don't even, you want to answer my questions. Far be it from 
us that we would be that way. There's a culture war that is a spiritual war and people need Christ. Here in this parable, you don't want to miss this. The king did what he could to make the invitation as attractive as possible. I have made everything ready. All you got to do is come. I've prepared the food. God, all you got to do is say yes. He did everything he could. He cared about these people. That's why he sent them an invitation to the wedding of his son. And he hoped they would love his son, but they did not. You can see the heart of God in this parable. You can even feel the emotion. Uh, There's people that I love so much, but they have rejected me. Verse 5, they made light of the invitation. They made light of coming to my son's wedding. They made light of forgiveness. They made light of hope. They made light of mercy. They made light of the things of God. The reaction of those that are invited makes no sense, but it does give us an accurate description of the reaction of many to the gospel. Not only did they reject the invitation and make light of the Lord and his things, but they murdered his messengers. Uh, That would be they murdered, the messengers here are the Old Testament prophets who were sent to the religious leaders to tell them they needed to repent. John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus to come. He was murdered. They murdered my messengers who brought the truth that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And the king, we're told, was furious. And he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and, verse 7, burned up their city. You want to know what? Verse 7 was fulfilled literally in 70 A.D. Christ was crucified The Jews had rejected Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. And in 70 AD, Jesus prophesied it at the end of Matthew chapter 23, Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. The Romans came in, destroyed the temple. In fact, if you go to Israel today, how many of you have been to Israel, Jerusalem, you see the big stones down there from the, the temple air that were thrown over the edge of the temple mount? They're all collected down there. Um, Fulfilled. You've rejected me, you've killed my son. In fact, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus, Pontius Pilate brings Jesus and Barabbas before the people, the ones who said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday. By Friday, they say crucify him. When Pontius Pilate brings Jesus and Barabbas before the people, and he says, what do you want me to do with uh, Barabbas? Release him, the, the criminal, release him. Release a criminal? What do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. You know what they said next? Let his blood be on us and upon our children. 
Jesus said he burned up the, the king, God, burns up the city. Wow. 70 AD. In fact, in 134 AD, there were still some Jews left. Get this. In 134 AD, uh, Hadrian came along, hated the Jews with a passion. But there's an insurrection of the few Jews that were left in Jerusalem under a revolt by Simon Barcoba. He's raising up this revolt. Hadrian crushed that revolt, spread the remaining Jews left through the four corners of the earth. And then Hadrian did this. He searched the history books to see what the worst enemy of the Jews was in history. It was the Philistines. You ever heard of the Philistines? You know, Goliath, the Philistines. So he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the final note of humiliation upon the Jewish people. I'm going to change the name of Israel to the name of the Philistines. Translated in Latin, Syria, Palestina. Translated in English today, Palestine. That is how the name Palestine came about. The Palestinian people, by the way, that's another subject. But you look at that, it happened exactly like Jesus, like Jesus says in this parable. I'll burn up the city. They've rejected my messengers. They've killed, they, they want to, they've rejected my son. Verse 8, let's move on. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited... We're not worthy. They wouldn't come. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found. Look at this, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love this part, because I fit here. As many as you find, invite to the wedding. So the king's servants went out into the highways and byways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. Man, the wedding hall is filled. I I praise the Lord for this. um, Because this is where we all come in. Um, We're either a bad sinner or we're not as bad as that other person. Bad or good is how he puts it here. We're still a sinner. You're either a bad sinner or a better sinner. Anyone that has responded to the invitation of God that says yes to his son, Jesus, anyone that is bad or good on the highways or byways, Jesus will save. Jesus saves sinners. Any sinner that will come to him, those that sin a little, those that sin a lot, good sinners and worse are sinners. So they gathered together, all bad or good. I'm going to tell you right now, I was bad. I was very bad. And some of you are very bad. There's bad and not as bad. We're all sinners. All fall short of the glory of God. Um, Give you an illustration to help you put some context into this. The very first funeral service I did was in the early 1990s. And uh, my friend from high school had died. Uh, He died from AIDS. And I went to do his funeral and I'm there and I'm dressed. Apparently I looked the part. I had a black suit on. I had a nice tie on. My hair must have been combed the whole bit. And so a lot of my friends from high school were there and parents of my friends from high school were there. And I'm up there. I, I, I do this 
funeral service for my friend who died from AIDS, and I'm teaching, I'm giving the gospel, the message of hope, and this lady came up to me afterwards. She was my best friend Scott's mom, and she looks at me kind of puzzled, and she says, Tommy Hughes, that can't be you. What she knew was the way I was. I was bad. I was, oh, so bad. But God is good. She, if in high school they had the most likely person to never amount to anything, it would have been me. God saves bad. Some of you are so bad. And God saves those who are not as bad. Let me take this a, a little bit further. I'm going to encourage you to never shut your doors or close your hearts to those that um, their bad is different than your bad. They sin different than the types of sins that you ever committed. I'll give you an example. Last night I received a text from a friend of mine. He said, please pray for this young man. I think he was 18 or 19 years old. Could have even been 17. He was in Palm Springs. He was gay. And he was uh, beaten up by some individuals because he was gay. It was a pretty bad beating. And um, you know what? Here, here's the thing is I... I don't care what sin a person commits. God saves sinners. He is in the business of saving sinners. Um, We categorize. Because that sin is different than the sin I struggled with. That one's worse. And we categorize. But let me tell you, my friend who sent me the text to tell me to pray for him, let me tell you about him for just a minute. Is he, um, the reason he's in a ministry, he's in a ministry reaching out to gay people. You want to know why? He was a gay porn actor. Fantastic testimony. Got saved. He said when he was about 12 years old, his mom took him to see a pastor at a particular church who told him he was going to hell and that was all he told him and he said I had these these feelings he goes I didn't know where they were coming from but I praise God that he got saved and he's a great brother who serves the Lord and loves the Lord Uh, Jesus saves bad and he saves those who are not as bad verse 11 we come to number four is those who never RSVP'd. This is the last thing. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to the man, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? The man was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. When the king saw this man standing there, he didn't have on the wedding garment. He didn't have on the garment of his son's wedding, the son's wedding garment for his wedding. You can see what this is, right? The man came inappropriately dressed, and the king noticed the man was clearly out of place. The banquet was intended to honor the king's son, but this man meant nothing of the kind. This man had no intention to honor the king's son. Spurgeon said of this, he was willing to eat the good things set before him, but his heart was 
in his heart there was no love for either the king or his well-beloved son. Cast him into out of darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal judgment. We all know people like this. You know who it is? This is people who, who say all roads lead to heaven. They don't have on the wedding garments of the sun. I've been good enough. Uh, Jesus is just another way. I will take my chances. These do not have on the wedding garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't want them. And they think they're going to be in heaven. And the king notices and says, you are not covered by my son. Depart from me where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Let me close with this. It's a little bit long, but it'll bring you all home. Then we'll have time of communion. Ruth Anna Metzger is a professional singer. She tells us the story that illustrates the importance of an RSVP. These are those, verse 11 through the end, that never RSVP'd. Several years ago, she was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. According to the invitation, the reception would be held on the top of two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the northwest tallest skyscraper. She and her husband, Roy, were excited about attending. At the reception, waiters in tuxedos offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. The bride and groom approached a beautiful glass and brass staircase that led to the top floor. Someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon draped across the bottom of the stairs. They announced the wedding feast was about to begin. The bride and groom ascended the stairs, followed by their guests. At the top of the stairs... A maitre d' with a bound book greeted the guests outside the doors. May I have your name, please? I'm Ruth Anna Metzger. This is my husband, Roy. He searched the M's and couldn't find her name. He said, will you spell it, please? Ruth Anna spelled her name slowly. After searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. There must be some mistake, Ruth Anna replied. I'm the singer. I sang for the wedding. I'm the worship leader. I'm not sure. There must be some mistake. I go to church all the time. The gentleman answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. He motioned to a waiter and said, show these people to the service elevator, please. Uh, The Metzgers followed the waiter past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, whole smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. Adjacent to the banquet area, an orchestra was preparing to perform. The musicians all dressed in dazzling white tuxedos, and the waiter led Ruthanna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pushed G for the parking garage. Going down. After locating their car and driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over and put his hand on his wife's arm and said, Sweetheart, what happened? She said, When the wedding invitation arrived, I was busy. I, I, I never bothered to RSVP. Besides that, I was the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. She started to weep not only because she had missed the most lavish banquet she'd ever been invited to, but also because 
suddenly she had a small taste of what it will be like for people as they stand before Christ and find their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, Throughout the ages, countless numbers of people have died because they did not RSVP. They didn't say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Don't you be that person. We're not saved because we go to church. He saves the bad, and he saves the not as bad. He will save anyone who comes to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life.